In your Bible, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 this morning, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Our uh, president currently got ridiculed during the campaign because he stood up somewhere and talked about second, or, uh, two Corinthians. So using that same uh, framework today, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, if you will, please. And uh, wonderful passage. My subject today is a Valentine's Day message. A Valentine's Day message. I don't preach on the holidays every time they come around. It's almost impossible. But yesterday I began to think about this. I looked on my computer and did a little Googling there, and I found out that Valentine's Day came, of course, you know this, from St. Valentine. Actually, the man's name was Valentinius. He lived in the third century, and he was a Christian, and the Roman emperor was a tyrant, a bloodthirsty killer named Claudius. Claudius put out a decree that Everybody in the empire had to worship 12 different Roman pagan gods, gods that don't exist except in imagination. Valentinius said, I won't do it. And they put him in jail and sentenced him to death. While he was in jail, the best of the legend that we know to be true, while he was in jail, the jailer recognized him as an educated man and brought his little blind daughter to Valentinius and said, would you teach her to read and write, and will you train her? And so he taught her math, he taught her history, most of all, he taught her the Christian faith. And he began to pray with her about her sight. And according to the legend, we don't exactly know if all this is true, but the legend says that the little girl had her sight restored miraculously, that God healed her. And then the day came for his execution. The jailer tried to intervene but couldn't stop it. And Valentinius left her a letter. And at the end of it, he signed it before his death. Your Valentine. And somehow or other, that's come down to us as one of those legends. We don't know that it's certainly not inspired. But that's the story of Valentine's Day. Now, the commercial interests of America have taken a long ways further than that, have they not? But at any rate, we celebrate Valentine's Day this Tuesday. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. The love chapter. If you want to talk about love from the Scripture, you go to 1 Corinthians 13. Would you stand with me, please, as I read to you the 13 verses of the love chapter. I knew a man one time who had many years ago, he claimed to read this chapter almost every day. He said, not quite, but almost every day when I finished my Bible reading time, I would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read it. And I'll tell you, his life exemplified it. He, he lived the most unselfish, giving, loving life of maybe anybody I've ever met. So he got that lifestyle from this book and this chapter. Watch as we read it together. Follow with me in your Bible. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, 
And that's the word for love in our King James Bible. And it's a good one. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And now we see through a glass darkly, but then someday face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Read the last verse with me now, everyone together. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And you may be seated. Many say that love is impossible to define. It's indefinable. And that may be partially true. It is such a big and wonderful concept. It's hard to get your mind around all the facets of what we mean when we utter the word love. But here in this chapter, we have a listing of 15 specific components of love, both some of them positive and both are, are, and negative, both the positive and the negative qualities of what it means to love. In our King James Bible, we use the word, the, the word is used charity. That used to be a very common word for what we call love. Most of the modern translations translate it love. Honestly, I think charity is a better word than love for what I'm trying to convey this morning because charity is defined in the dictionary as meaning a generous and unselfish concern for others. You may want to write that there in the margin of your Bible. What is charity? What does it mean exactly? It's such a clear definition, a generous and unselfish concern for other people or for others. Now, when we try to define the word love in a modern context, it can mean everything. It can mean sexual attraction. It can mean love for some cause. It, can, it has all kinds of connotations. And so the word charity really comes right to what the apostle's writing here, a generous and an unselfish 
concern for others, love, charity. I also noted in my study of this word that it's in the present continuous tense, the present continuous. Now, you didn't come for a grammar lesson, I understand, but we are trying to study God's word and understand the meaning of it. When I say it's in the present continuous sense, I mean this. This is something we do all the time. This is habitual. I'm preaching on it today, and maybe all of y'all will get a little bit motivated to show love to other people, and yet when we leave here, it might wear off by this evening. I don't know. But this is something that's to be habitually and continuously practiced in our lives, the present continuous tense. I want you to notice that chapter 13, here's an astounding insight. You ready for this? Chapter 13 is located between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Isn't that amazing what I came up with as I studied? What is the significance of that? Chapter 13 or chapter 12 and 14 deal with spiritual gifts. And then we come to this chapter, and it's like he's not even talking about the gifts. He sandwiches in a chapter about love in between spiritual gifts. And his conclusion is that the greatest thing of all is not to seek after the gifts, but it's to have love in your heart. That love is greater than any spiritual gift, and he goes on to show that. Now, are you men listening right now? How many men are listening? Amen? Amen. All right, men, I'm preaching to you primarily, although the women are going to get some of the overflow here, I think. But Mark spoke Friday night on act like men. Do you know, immediately my mind went to the book of Ephesians where it says that husbands love your wives. Is it not interesting the Bible doesn't say wives love your husbands? Now, it's implied, but it doesn't come right out and say that. And let me tell you what I've come to believe after 47 years of experience of pastoring a Baptist church. If the man will practice Ephesians 5, probably most of the other things will fall into place. Guys, I'm putting the ball right in your court today. And the biggest problem we have in the breakdown of the families, there are other problems. Women have their issues, but I'm not going into that today. But men, I want to tell you today, we could solve most of the problems in the families in America if men would simply stand up and act like men, Christian men, God's men. And when our men would do that, Believe me, we could take care of a significant number of these issues that we have in our families. And so, men, I'm challenging you this week. Go home and practice 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Go home and love your wife. Go home and love your children. Go home and love the people around you, even when it's difficult to do. And see if you won't have one of the most rich and rewarding weeks you've ever had because when we love others as Christ loved us, it comes back to us, I'm going to tell you, many times over. Number one today, I want to make this point. I want to show you the importance of love. The importance of love. Love is one of the greatest of all the Christian character qualities. Love is one of the greatest virtues 
that a person can have in their life and in their heart. To be a loving person is greater than any of the gifts of chapter 12 or of chapter 13. Love is the true motivating force for all Christian service. What ought to motivate me as a pastor is love for God, not first love for the people. Because, boy, sometimes you have to deal with people that are not very easy to deal with. So I'm not motivated. I don't want to shock you. But I'm not the pastor of this church just out of a pure, altruistic, overflowing love for the members of this church. Some of you I love and some of you, well, um, I'm trying to love. I'm working on it. But I want to tell you the motivating force is for me to love the Lord. And when my heart is filled with love for the Lord, you know what? It makes it easier to love other people, doesn't it? It kind of restrains me and puts me in the direction that I ought to go. So love is the motivating force for all Christian service. We sing in the choir because we love the Lord and want to praise his name. We teach Sunday school. We serve in the hospitality ministry. Whatever we do, we do it. Love is our motivating force. And then love is the motivating force in our homes for our wives, our children, and our extended family members. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, notice what he said. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I don't have love or charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I thought, man, what a wonderful way to illustrate this. I sit right over here and, and listen to this um, orchestra all the time, and I'm looking for the right kind of thing down here. It is right here. And we have a gong over here in the orchestra. And we don't use it very often, but. That got everybody's attention. I just watched and that guy's been sleeping for 20 years. Just went. That's a gong. And Paul said, for me to stand up here and speak without the love of God in my heart is like hitting that gong. Doesn't mean a thing. It's empty noise. Lots of people need to learn that. Noisy Christians, huh? Love is greater than words that I could speak. Love is greater than knowledge. Look at chapter 13 and verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries. See, that's knowledge. And I have all knowledge. And I have faith. But he said, love is more important than knowledge. The smartest person in the room today may not be the greatest person. Just because my head is full doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a godly person. I may have theological knowledge running out my ears, but do I have love in my heart? Love is greater than knowledge. Look at verse 3. Love is greater than self-sacrifice or service. I know people that, boy, they are very, very quick to serve. They're involved in a lot of community activities, church activities, 
But the Bible says that to have a spirit of love is greater than service. It's greater than generosity. It's greater to love people than it is to write them a check if all I'm doing is just mechanically writing a check. So to summarize the importance of love, love is the indispensable quality which alone gives worth to all the other Christian gifts and talents. Let me say that again. Love is that indispensable quality. It's like a catalyst that it makes the other elements actually work in a different way. And love is that indispensable quality in my life, which alone gives worth and value to all the other Christian gifts and talents that the Lord may have given to you or to me. Now, in verses 4 through 7, you see something here that we've emphasized many times. If you take our discipleship course, self-confrontation, and uh, many times in preaching, I've referenced this. But the gentleman I referred to who read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 every day and had a life that backed it up, a loving, overflowing life, if he could read it every day, I don't think we'll overdo it for me to preach on this every now and then and review these qualities. Here's what you have in verses 4 through 7. You have 15 different elements. These elements, these 15 different qualities, and I'll go through them quickly with you in just a moment. And if you have a pen or pencil, you may want to underscore them in your Bible when we go through them. But listen to me first. These are attitudes. These are heart attitudes. It's hard for us sometimes to be honest enough with ourselves that we will stop and look down in our hearts and say, these are attitudes that I lack and I really need to work in my life. But these are attitudes, not just feelings that come and go. See, the problem we have today in our culture is that the pop music and Hollywood and pop culture and, and, and our general conversation has made love into a feeling. And so if I feel like it, I show love to people. But if, if my emotions are going the other way, I, know I don't love. We always think of love as this attraction to somebody, this feeling of, of, of attraction that we have for people. But in the Bible, that's not what love is. Love is not an emotion. It is an attitude that we have in our life and in our hearts that we get from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit, and that attitude always works itself out in actions, an attitude that results in action in our life. So, having said that, let's look and see what it says here. In verse number four, the 15 elements, number one, in verse number four, love suffers long. It suffers long. It is patient, if you will. How would I know that I have love in my heart in a given situation? Well, it will result in patience towards other people. How many times can I be taken how many times can I be taken advantage of and not get upset? How many times can somebody blunder and I just but, it, but I maintain my cool, if you will? Love is patient. Number two, verse four, love is kind. Love is kind. A loving person is a kind person. 
kindness, to show one's self to be mild, to be gentle, to be slow in exacting vengeance on someone. A lot like patient, isn't it? Now, those are the first two there in verse four. But now we come to verse, we stay in verse four, but we come to the next seven of these qualities. There are 15 of them, but the next seven of them are all in the negative. They tell me what love is not. You see, many times to describe something, we describe the opposite of it, what it is not rather than what it is. And by contrast, we come to an understanding. And so number three is in verse number four, but it's negative. Love envieth not. It envieth not. It's not jealous. If I love you, I don't go around coveting and desiring what is yours. It envieth not. Number four, it vaunteth not itself. In plain language, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag. It doesn't try to build itself up so you will accept. I don't try to build myself up so you will accept me. That would be a self-focus, wouldn't it? Love doesn't seek recognition. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 and 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Don't you get weary when you're around a braggart, somebody who is always talking about how great they are? And you, it, just, it just grates on you after a period of time. Love vaunteth not itself. Now, Number five is still in verse four. Love is not puffed up, not puffed up. So if I'm loving, I'm not arrogant. I'm humble. I don't put myself above other people. I don't try to have to inflate my ego constantly. I'm not puffed up. I read a wonderful story recently of William Carey. William Carey was a cobbler. He was a shoemaker's assistant, really. He repaired shoes back in the 1700s up in, or in England. And he felt the call of God. And he was in a little Baptist church. He went and told the church that he wanted to be a missionary to India because in India he knew people didn't know Christ, didn't know the gospel. The deacons got together and the head deacon said, young man, when God wants to save the heathen, he can do it without you. Boy, that was an encouraging day, wasn't it? In spite of that, oh, William Carey went to India. And William Carey was one of the first modern missionaries. And I'll tell you, William Carey did a work. Today in Calcutta, India, there still is the Carey Baptist Church. It's been functioning now for 250 years. He established different mission works all over the nation of India. God used him unlike few, uh, like few men in all of, of recorded history. Here's his greatest accomplishment. William Carey was a linguist. He taught himself these languages. There was no place for him to go to school. He taught himself and he translated the Bible into 34 different Indian dialects. Can you imagine translating the Bible into 34 different languages? Carrie did that. 
And one night at a banquet, some fellow who was puffed up, real full of himself, said, Mr. Carey, I understand that once you were a shoemaker, here's a heart of love. Carey said, I was not a shoemaker. I was a shoemaker's assistant. (laughs) A man who had translated the Bible into 34 languages, but there's that deep humility that comes from love. Number six is in verse five. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Unseemly. That's not a word we use today, but it's a wonderful word. It means to act without proper decorum. It means to be indecent. That would be unseemly. Or maybe in a more common way, it means to be rude. To be rude. I was talking to one of my grandchildren this week, and I said to him, I said, listen, do you know why we emphasize courteous, courteous behavior? The way you eat at the table, or you open the door for a lady, or you say thank you and no thank you and yes sir and all that kind of stuff. Do you know why we do that? Not really. Why? We do that because that is a way to show respect and consideration of other people. And that's love. And man, do we need Emily Post to arise from the grave and teach people about etiquette today? This is a rude generation. Thank you is about to go away. And, and unfortunately, parents don't teach their children that they think that's not important. I've had young people tell me, well, that, why is that important? It's important because when I treat you with respect, when I open the door, when, when I close my mouth, when I chew my food at the dinner table, you ever sat across the table from somebody and you're watching the whole process? It ruins your meal. It's consideration. It's a way that we show love to somebody, is it not? Men, teach your children to love, and love is treating other people with respect. Number six, or number seven now, verse five, it seeks not her own. Jesus said over and over, the Son of Man came not to be served, to be ministered unto, but to minister. A servant spirit seeks not her own. To be occupied with the needs of other people, to be sensitive to them, to think in terms of what their need might be. But in doing it, I am demonstrating in one sense the love of Christ. Number eight, isn't it? Yes. Love is not easily provoked. To be provoked is to be irritated, to be on the edge, to be aroused to anger, whether you demonstrate it or not. That's an interesting term there because it comes from a Greek term, which means to ledger. What does that mean? Love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily ledgered. The idea is that you keep a ledger, that you write things down. And I know people who are like that, and you've met them too. So somebody offended them 10 years ago, and they wrote it down in their little mental ledger. And then somebody offended them, didn't say the right thing again five years ago. 
And now they got a whole big bag carrying by their side of all the offenses that people had. And they just walk around there always putting one more in. They're keeping records. He didn't speak to me. He wasn't friendly. He didn't do this. He, she didn't do that. And over and over and over. And they're just piling up this list of offenses, keeping real good records of everything that anybody ever did that offended them. Man, that's a miserable way to live, folks. That's an unhappy person. That's a grouch. That's somebody that nobody likes and has no influence. Somebody said to a lady one day, did you wake up grumpy this morning? She said, no, I let him sleep. (laughs) The first thing she thought about was her husband. Well, that's not what the scripture is talking about here. Is not easily provoked. Doesn't go around to irritate it all the time. Verse 6, rejoices not in iniquity. That's number nine. We don't take pleasure in somebody else's fall. Somebody falls into sin. Somebody suffers a real tragedy in their life. But it hurts us. We're Christians. We don't want to see anybody suffer because of sin. Now, those are the seven negative ones. It envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, doesn't brag. It's not puffed up or arrogant. It does not behave itself unseemly, indecently, and rudely. Number seven, it seeks not its own. Number eight, it's not easily provoked. And number nine, it does not rejoice in iniquity. The negative one, seven negatives. Now, let's go back to the positive in verse six. And the tenth quality, love rejoices in the truth. It rejoiceth in the truth. So we're back in the positive. Now, what that means is love never sacrifices truth for love. It always rejoices in truth. And here's one of the most difficult ones for me, at least, and I think for all of us. Because there's always that tension between love and truth. There's a tension between love and truth. As a pastor, do I tell the truth and how do I say it without coming off harsh and unloving, mean-spirited? As a parent, I love my child with all my heart, but my child is doing wrong, how, and there's a tension. How do I correct the truth about my child's behavior and still maintain love? If you're not careful, you overdo it one way or the other. If you put all your focus upon love, you're going to be permissive. If you put all your focus on truth, you're going to come off as being hard, even though you have the truth. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, speaking the truth, how does it say it? In love. That, yes, I am to speak the truth as a pastor, as a parent, as a friend. Yes, truth is the greatest of all virtues, in my opinion. But it's always got to be tempered with love. It can never be a naked truth. It is truth spoken in love. And the tension there is so great for us today, greater than maybe any other time in history, because we live in this time of uh, what we know as political correctness. And political correctness 
is making a lie out of everybody in our society if you play along with it. I looked up the definition. What is political correctness? It means to promote tolerance by avoiding offenses in matters of race, class, gender, and sexual orientation. That's the dictionary. To promote tolerance by avoiding offense in matters of race, class, gender, and sexual orientation specifically. So that means in any of those areas, I'm not to speak about it because it might offend somebody. But there's a big problem here. It makes us liars. It detaches us from what is true and real. And truth always is consistent with reality. Now, truth has to be spoken in love, but it's got to be consistent with what is. The Grammys are on, I think maybe tonight. I'm not sure. Is it tonight? Well, soon. They're coming up in February. You've heard the news. There are three people, they call them the trophy girls. They walk out and get, they escort the, the winners and the nominees out on the stage and they, uh, they give them the trophies or whatever they do. I don't, it has very little appeal to me. But they call them the trophy girls. One of the trophy girls this year is a transsexual woman which means the trophy girl is a man dressed like a woman. Now, the truth is becoming victim to that. It's not a girl. That's a man. You call yourself that, it doesn't matter. The medical profession will tell you that men's chromosomes and women's chromosomes are different. One of them's XX and one's XY or something like that. I forgot my biology, but it doesn't matter. I know the difference. <laughs> I know how to find my way to the right bathroom. <laughs> doesn't take a genius, does it? And I know you can call him a her, but he's still a he because those X's and Y's didn't change a thing when you started calling it something else. Political correctness. The tension between telling the truth and showing love. And that's the challenge for us as Christians. Is this not a form of insanity? When we call men, women, women, men, and it, they, and they, it, and all that. What has come upon our culture? And so we Christians operating in this kind of culture, we have to speak the truth. But we can never forget to be loving when we speak it. Number 11 is in verse 7, it bears all things. It bears all things. Actually, the verb means to cover And so 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, love covereth a multitude of sins. Boy, we may have a lot of other weaknesses, but the scripture says if we have enough love and demonstrate enough love, it makes up for some of those other deficiencies. Number 12 is in verse 7. It says love believes all things, meaning it trusts. It's not suspicious or cynical. 
Verse seven says that love hopes in all things, meaning it anticipates, it doesn't give up on someone, never gives up. Like the mother who never gives up on the wayward boy or girl, never quits. Love number, number 14 is in verse seven, love endures all things. That's a military phrase, and it has the idea of an army who holds its position no matter what, how many casualties they take or how dim the prospect for victory. And number 15 is in verse eight, love never fails. It never ceases. It never stops. It never quits. And it's full of sense. It's unconditional as we know that the Lord has. Now, let me say it again. 15 virtues listed here in these verses. You want to make your life new? There's a way to get there. 15 virtues that can absolutely transform a home, transform a church, transform a business even. 15 attitudes that result in actions that produce the right emotions. You want to feel love, then we have to act out those things that create that emotion. Now, that might seem like it's mechanical to you. I hope not. But if you practice these things, they produce the emotions of love that are so important in the life of every human being. Now, men especially, but all of us, this week, could we not take the pastor's sermon from Sunday morning and go home and go into life and try to practice it everywhere we are? And say, you know what? We could leave with a prayer on our lips. Lord, this week, help me to show that portrait of love. And I challenge you to make a conscientious, intentional effort to show your love to your spouse, especially. It's Valentine's Day. But not just because it's Valentine's Day, but because we love the Lord Jesus. And we show our spouse love. And we show our children love. We show our brothers and sisters in the church love. We show the people in our office where we work or whatever we do out on the crew. We show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to say today, and I don't want you to miss it because this is as important as anything I've said, that lastly, number three, this is a portrait of Christ's love for us. You want to know how much God loves you right here. Take your Bible and do this with me for a moment. Chapter 13 and verse 4. Take the word Jesus and substitute it for the word charity. And here's how it will read. Jesus suffered long. Jesus is kind. Jesus did not envy. Jesus did not vaunt himself. Jesus was not puffed up. Jesus never behaved himself unseemly. Jesus did not seek his own. He sought our good. Jesus is not easily provoked. Jesus never thought evil. Jesus never rejoiced in anybody's fall. Jesus rejoiced in truth. Jesus bore all things. Jesus believed all things. Jesus hoped all things. Jesus endured 
all things, and Jesus never fails. Amen? And there's the portrait of Jesus Christ. Perfect love, a balanced love, a love that was not permissive, a love that spoke the truth, and because he spoke the truth, he got into tremendous trouble, but he always spoke the truth. But he never was unkind or harsh or mean-spirited when he did so. And so when Peter betrayed his Lord and cursed and denied that he even knew him, did Jesus kick him out? No. Jesus restored him after there was real repentance. And who is it that's the preacher on the day of Pentecost? It's Peter. Some of the guys didn't get into any trouble, but they also didn't have the level of love that Peter did. There's a whole book of the Bible that I've preached on it to you twice now. It's the book of Hosea. Let me tell it to you before we leave. Listen to me carefully because this can be applied in every situation here. In the book of Hosea, God tells the prophet Hosea, go marry that woman. Her name was Gomer, G-O-M-E-R. Hosea goes and marries her, and they have three children. And then Gomer becomes unfaithful to him, and she leaves the home. She abandons Hosea, the preacher. And then she spirals down in a life of immorality, becoming more and more and more immoral, until finally the preacher's wife, Gomer, becomes a prostitute. And she lives a life of prostitution while he's rearing those three kids. And then one day, God said, I want you to go down to the slave market. Gomer has sold herself as a common slave. She's reached the absolute bottom. I want you to go down there and bid on her and buy her. And I want you to take her back home, forgive her, and love her, and live with her. Quite a test, huh? Love never faileth. And Hosea the preacher goes and buys the prostitute, takes her home and loves her. What's the book about? It's about God's grace. It's about God's forgiveness in difficult, difficult circumstances. It's about losing something that you love and the pain that stabs you like a knife, but that God's grace overcomes. What a picture of God's love. Because over and over, he says in the Bible, in fact, he says in the Old Testament to Israel, you have committed adultery against me, your maker. I'm your husband, God. Israel is my bride. And you went and committed adultery against me. But I love you, and I'll take you back if you will repent. Love, the greatest of the Christian virtues. Love. Grace, mercy, that's our message. 
on Valentine's Day and on every day. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, and bow your head.